Well, I'm excited to start the fall season with you here at Betty Westwood. Uh, it's kind of like football season for the church, you know? And uh, I also want to welcome, we have a few dozen people every week that are uh, getting into the message by our uh, online uh, sermons on the website or on our app or also now on our audio podcast. Anyway, I've got to start a little trivia for you here today. Uh, do you know the difference between a crow and a raven? Well, they're both kind of big black birds. Well, I, I read a little bit about it. I found out that uh, a raven is slightly larger and uh, has kind of a different shape of its tail feathers. But I've also heard that there's a difference in its flight feathers on its wings called uh, pinion. That's what it's called. And uh, that a crow has four of these flight feathers on each wing, four pinions, but a raven has more. That a raven has not four, but five of these uh, flight feathers. So the difference between a crow and a raven is a matter of opinion. <laughs> I know that, that is actually a really old joke. And, and I don't even know if it's true. It might be some kind of urban legend about that, you know, so I don't really... Anyway, but I tell it today because today we're talking about opinions. We Americans, we love to express our opinions. We enjoy freedom of speech, freedom of press. Uh, and of course, you know, it's not that way everywhere. In some countries, if you start to express all your opinions, you're going to end up in jail or be shot at sunrise. Now, churches also have a reputation for being places where you might just get blasted with somebody's opinion and you never know when it's coming and I just want to say if that's ever happened to you I am so sorry uh, you know it is so easy for us to do this because we get our our opinions and our preferences and our convictions and our beliefs all kind of mumbled and jumbled and muddied together the problem is that uh you know, we do this all the time. For example, one person believes it's okay, perfectly okay, for infants to be baptized. And another person says, well, why would you do that? They, they, they need, the person has to make their own decision about being baptized. And my opinion is, I'm okay either way. I would rather have some baptism be something that unites us rather than divides us. John Wesley John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement nearly 300 years ago. And he wrote a little piece called The Character of a Methodist. Okay, do you know that? The Character of a Methodist. And number one on the list was this. The distinguishing marks, he said, of a Methodist are not opinions of any sort. It's not our opinions that define us. Now, we have core beliefs, sure. We, we believe in basic biblical Christianity. Uh, we believe that God wants all people to believe in Jesus and be saved. We believe that salvation includes God radically changing our lives, called holiness of heart and life. Wesley also said this, But as to opinions which do not strike at the root of Christianity, we think and let think. Can you live with that? Personally, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. It's all crows and ravens to me, a matter of opinion. 
And I don't care if you're a carnivore or a vegan. I don't think it's a sin either way. And the problem, though, comes when we start treating our opinions like convictions. We start treating our preferences as, as if there are God-given rights. Here's a hypothetical example, although I'm sure it's never happened here. Let's say that you believe that you have a right to sit in your preferred pew every Sunday. And that never happens, does it? Okay. So what happens then when you walk into the worship center and someone's sitting in your spot? What do you do? Hypothetically. Now you could just turn around and go home. But, but you don't want to do that, do you? You could go up to the people who have claimed your spot and say, I'm sorry, but you're sitting in my place. You'll have to move. And could, because you don't want to do that because if you did, they would hypothetically get up and leave and walk out and never come back. We must never confuse our personal preferences with our God-given rights. We must never confuse our opinions with our convictions. By the way, you can always join me in the front pew. I've got plenty of room. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, so here's a little tip of what you could do if you walk in worship center and somebody is sitting where you like to sit. Think of it as your opportunity to make them feel welcome. You just walk up and say, good morning, I'm so-and-so, and you extend your hand to greet them, and nine times out of ten, then they'll introduce their, themselves, and if they don't, that's okay. Uh, you can do what I say, and I, I use this every Sunday. I say, I'm sorry, but I can't remember your name, and they tell me. And, and people say, well, Steve, how do you remember everybody's names? I don't. I just use that line all the time until, <laughs> until I do, you know, until they're sick of me. And so anyway, but and here's another tip. <clears throat> Never ask them, how long have you been here? Because you're going to find out they've probably been here longer than you. <laughs> so a better question is to ask, how long has Faith Westwood been your church? Isn't that a great question? How long has Faith Westwood been your church? And you're going to find out, and they're going to tell you. Or they'll say, you know, this is our first time here. And you'll say, oh, wonderful. I'm so glad you came. And you have a little brief conversation with them. And then you sit kind of near them. And then you sit down and you quietly give thanks that God gave their spot, your spot, to them. Praise the Lord. Over the years, you know, we... It's, it's so easy to kind of hear from God and yet maybe not quite get it exactly right. I've heard a few people over the years who claim that God told them that they were supposed to marry this certain person. The problem is God didn't tell the other person. <laughs> Some, sometimes it's easy to confuse when we're getting a prompting from the Holy Spirit and when it's our own opinion coming through. Please open your Bible, if you would, to uh, Acts chapter 21. Uh, start with verse 1. It's on page 1115 of the Pew Bible. Uh, and I'm going to ask you to keep this uh, open as we kind of walk through the, this passage. And as I always like to say, if you're here today and you don't own a Bible, now you do. Just take that Pew Bible home. It's yours to keep, okay? Now... Uh, in the late 50s A.D., the Apostle Paul is traveling through Greece and Macedonia and the province of Asia. 
Here is a map of the area that he's been traveling in, and all the dots are places that he's been. Now, he decided he's, going, he's on his way to Jerusalem for the Jewish festival of Pentecost. Paul and his mission team uh, celebrate the Passover in uh, Philippi, and then they board a ship for a five-day journey to Troas, and then they spend a week there. From Troas, they, they set sail to the city of Mytilene. Do you see that sort of triangle-shaped island I have circled up there? It's a little bit, it's a little small, but hard to see. Anyway, that is the island of Lesbos. Have you heard of that? Sometimes it's pronounced and spelled with a B, Lesbos. Both, you see both. But it's, the, it's a Greek island. It's, it's owned by the, the, the nation of Greek, Greece, but it's only three and a half miles from Turkey. And so that's why so many refugees fleeing there, fleeing Turkey, have tried at risk of their own lives to make it to Lesbos. Trish and I uh, know someone who uh, for a number of times has gone to spend months there at Lesbos helping the refugees, and now she has moved there to continue that work. Uh, we, we send her a little support once in a while. And uh, also I wanted you to know we were, were taking our uh, mission offering for our partner, United Methodist Committee on Relief. Uh, and I don't have recent information, but until up to about a year ago, the United Methodist Committee on Relief had sent $2.2 million worth of support for the refugees in Lesbos and the island of Kos as well. Anyway, Paul and company uh, sail from Mytilene, and a few days later they arrive at uh, Miletus, where they end up, they, they uh, meet up with some of the believers from Ephesus, just a little bit north, who, who come down to see him. So now we come to chapter 21. Are you there? You got it open? Uh, page 115, if you're using the Pew Bible, it describes a piece of the journey that I'm going to put up here on the map as well. After we had torn ourselves away from them, that is, the believers from Ephesus who had come down to Miletus, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. That's the other Greek island where there's so many refugees have come. And the next day, we went to Rhodes and from there to Patera. Now, in Patera, they have to change ships. So I'm going to reorient the map, as you can see there, so you can see their journey from Patera. Verses 2 and 3 say, We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, which is, you know, the um, eastern coast of the Mediterranean. So we went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria, which is another Roman province there, and we landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. You know, there's something about this whole last section of the book of Acts that I just love because it's so rich in details about what happened. And uh, the, whenever it uses the word we, the, the best explanation that we have is that Luke, the writer, is traveling along with them. And he's, he's writing this as he goes, or he's taking his journal and then uh, adding it into, uh, into the book of Acts. 
So in verse 4, here's where it gets really interesting. It says, We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul to what? Say the last part with me. They urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Through, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Paul, it's way too dangerous. The Jewish leaders have branded you a heretic. Who knows what they'll do? So what do you do when your friends are being led by the Holy Spirit and they beg you not to go? Do you listen to them or do they need to listen to you? It's interesting in the previous chapter, it says that Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He said no matter what happens to him. So here's my question. Why does the Holy Spirit say one thing to the believers in Troas, excuse me, Tyre, and something else to Paul? What is going on? Now, we're going to look at a few more verses, and then we're going to circle back to that question, okay? When it was time for Paul and his mission team to leave, uh, all the Christ followers from Tyre go down to the dock, and uh, they all, everybody, all of them just get together and they kneel on the beach to pray. And I can just imagine them holding hands and I just see them kneeling on the beach together, just praying their hearts out. I just think what a beautiful scene. Anyway, two days later, Paul and his team arrive at Caesarea. Now let's skip down to verses 10 and 11 where we meet a prophet named Agabus. It says, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. Agabus, he's kind of like an Old Testament prophet, how they would not only, you know, verbally announce God's word, but they would visually proclaim it. They would demonstrate it. Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you'll be arrested. They'll tie you up, and you'll be handed over to the Roman courts. Now, when they, everybody hears Agabus, what do they do? What do all the believers do? In verse 12, it says, When they heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Don't go, Paul, how much... How much clearer does God have to make it? It's like a flashing neon sign. Do not go to Jerusalem. So what does Paul do? He goes to Jerusalem. He says, I'm ready for whatever they do. I might be arrested. I might be tied up. They might kill me. But I'm going there because Jesus wants me to go there. And verse 14, I kind of like the way it wraps this up here. It says, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up. <laughs> we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So back to the question, what's going on here? The Christians in, in Tyre and in Caesarea are, appear to be genuinely listening to the Holy Spirit. So why are they not getting the same full message that Paul is getting? 
And it's because they don't know yet the whole story. They know it'll be dangerous, but unknowingly they fill in the rest with their opinion that he shouldn't go. So they, they have part of the message, but they've sort of filled in the gap on their own. And, if they, and I was thinking about this. If they can listen to the Spirit and unknowingly fill in the gaps with their, with their opinion, then I'm pretty sure the same thing can happen with me. Sometimes I fill in the gaps with my opinion without even realizing it. That's why I have to listen to others and ask how they're being led by the Spirit. So, Today, I've got a big idea for us. One main big point. I'll put it up here on the screen. It's kind of a, a mouthful, but here it is. I want to be led by the Spirit and humbly listen to others, recognizing how easy it is to blend my opinions with the leading of the Spirit. Let's say that together, shall we? I want to be led by the Spirit and humbly listen to others recognizing how easy it is to blend my opinions with the leading of the Spirit. You might want to copy that down. Some of you are taking pictures of it. That works too. Uh, but for example, sometimes I get an idea. I mean, that happens to pastors a lot, you know. I got this idea. And it might be kind of God-inspired. It might, it might be the Holy Spirit uh, guiding us along the way. Uh, and it might be, let's say, it's for a new church-wide series coming up. Or it could be an idea for a new direction to take in one of our ministries. And my first impulse when, I, when that happens is, okay, let's just let's do it right now. Let's just jump right in. But then I process it with some others. And sometimes I realize that while the idea may have come from God, the timing for it hasn't necessarily come with it. The idea to jump in right away might be my opinion that got mixed in. I want to be led by the Spirit and humbly listen to others, recognizing how easy it is to blend my opinions with the leading of the Spirit. Now, some of you here today, you feel like, okay, well, I just showed up here at this church, and I'm not really, you know, a like a disciple of Jesus or anything, and I don't really know what all these people believe, but now I'm starting to think you're creepy because you think you can listen to God. Well, I can kind of understand that. I mean, it's a little scary. It's, you know, a lot of people listen to God, and it's dangerous. Um, but Scripture teaches, and our own experience confirms that it does happen. There are times when the Holy Spirit is communicating to us, guiding us, leading us, and we don't want to ignore it. Some of you have heard this story, and I, I think it's uh, worth sharing again, although I think I'll probably share parts you haven't heard as well. But when I was a young associate pastor in Hastings, uh, one of the things that I did about three times a week is that I would go to the hospital and visit people. And anyway, one day, I went to the, to the door of the room where this lady was. I didn't know her, but as I looked into the door, I could see that she had a sheet covering her clear up to her chin. And I could see from that, sticking out above that, her, the sheet, her face and her 
quite here. And so I kind of, you know, knocked on the door and went in and introduced myself and walked around to the other side of the bed. And we talked for a little bit, and I, I soon learned that she was freezing. She was chilly. And the hospital staff, they were not allowed to, to put, cover her with any more blankets or anything because she had a fever and they didn't want it to spike. And so there she was, just this poor little woman, you know, suffering like that. And I, my heart just went out to her. Oh, I felt so bad for her. And, and while I was standing there talking with her, an idea popped into my mind. This thought. Kiss her on the forehead. Well, obviously, that's a stupid idea. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not really a kind of a demonstrative person very much. And, you know, so it was pretty easy for me just to just dismiss that thought. You know, push it aside. That's good. So we continue visiting for a little bit. Another minute later, that thought just pops into my mind again. Kiss her on the forehead. I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to do that. I went to seminary and I took the class on hospital visitation. I know what is appropriate and what is not. Well, our conversation continued a little longer, and the strangest thing happened. I could not quit staring at this lady's forehead, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, there's a, there's a little quip that I learned in seminary, and I don't know if I should really share it with you. <laughs> But it's, uh, it starts with a question, what do, what do pastors do when they get uncomfortable? What do pastors do when they get uncomfortable? They say, let us pray. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, let us pray. And, I, and I, I prayed for her, really, I did. It was a heartfelt, genuine prayer for God to give her healing and help her and to give her hope and comfort. And I prayed, and then I said my amen, and I opened my eyes, and I looked to the door, signaling my intent to leave. And she opened her eyes and looked up at me and said, would you kiss my forehead? And I said, I'd be glad to. And I bent down and gave her a little peck on the forehead. And I walked out of that room and my face was just flushed. And I thought, what just happened here? And all I could think of was that God had been trying to get my attention, but I was ignoring it. And I wondered how many other times God is trying to get my attention and I'm just kind of pushing it away. The Holy Spirit communicates us with us, but that doesn't mean we get it right 100% of the time. And that's why we have to be humble and we have to listen to one another. One of the hardest places to do this, I think, is with politics. Many Christians believe that God is on the side of their party and their candidate. But do you know how easy it is for us to baptize our opinions and say that they're from God? I mean, it happens all the time. Let's say this again. 
I want to be led by the Spirit and humbly listen to others, recognizing how easy it is to blend my opinion with the leading of the Spirit. And your political opinions are just that. They are your opinions. They didn't come down from heaven with the angels. If you have convictions, stand by them, but stay humble because other people have really good reasons for believing what they believe. You know, as a United Methodist pastor, um, I am under a covenant to go where my bishop sends me. So what I do. Faith Westwood is my fifth appointment in 35 years or so. Some years ago, um, a bishop, I, I had Bishop Ann Shearer spoke to me after a meeting, and we were, actually we were kind of walking along, and she was sharing it with me. She says, Steve, I've got a new appointment for you. And she said it was a decision that was made by her and her whole cabinet of district superintendents after much prayer and deliberation. But when she told me what it was, my heart sank. This was absolutely the last thing I wanted to be doing. I'm trying to remember what day of the week it was when she told me. I think it might have been a Thursday and she needed an answer by Sunday. And I went home, I remember, just feeling heavy, weighed down. And I spent that, that whole weekend just kind of in anguish and turmoil. And I'm wondering, God, is this what you want me to do? Are you asking me to sacrifice and, and do this? Or, you know, how much of what I'm feeling is, is the Holy Spirit? How much of it is my own, you know, opinion? And, or are the two in harmony? I don't know, and so I, I, to help give me clarity, I, I wrote a, a long letter, big three-page, single-space type letter to the bishop, kind of weighing the pros and cons of all the different options, and in the end, I said that, you know, I want to be true to my covenant, I'm willing to go, but as for me, I could only see that if I took this appointment, I would not be where God wants me to be. So I met with Bishop Ann on Sunday afternoon and I gave her the letter and we talked through it and she allowed me to turn down the appointment. And as we were leaving, she said something that as I look back now, I realize had a great deal of wisdom. She says, sometimes we hear it differently. She had prayed, the, the, the district superintendents had all prayed and agreed, and yet my take was different. And she said, sometimes we hear it differently. And that's why we have to listen to each other. A couple of years after that, Bishop Ann asked me to come to Faith Westwood. And if I had taken that other appointment, I'm pretty sure I would not be here today. I have a clock on my uh, clock radio on my bedside stand and there's a thin little wire that comes out from it that's supposed to be the antenna for it. Uh, but still, even with that, reception isn't perfect. 
They're, they're static on a lot of stations, but I can still hear it. I can kind of tell what they're saying, and I can make out the music, and the, the signal comes through, but they're static, too. And I think sometimes that's the way it is with us and the Holy Spirit. Our reception isn't perfect. Now, we can hear. The signal comes through, and it's worth listening to, but it's not perfect. So, are you listening? You know, some of the times I think we just push it aside. Are you listening? And are you willing to also recognize that you listen, but it's not perfect, and we also have to listen to one another? Because sometimes we hear it differently. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, uh, we thank you that we are often led by the Spirit, and you really love it when we we stretch our faith and, and, and follow how you're leading. And yet, Lord, we also are a little scared because we don't get it right all the time. And so, Lord, we thank you that we have sisters and brothers around us uh, that we can talk to and trust and process with and listen together. And that somehow you make us better people and a better church by that process. And um, so, Lord, we're asking you to continue to do that. Lead us forward. Help us to be great listeners, really responsive to uh, what the signal that's coming through. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.